0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week, it looks like I'm your panel and we have a special guest. That's Charlie Cheever. Charlie, do you want to say hi?
1: Hey, I'm Charlie Cheever. I work on Expo, which is a way to make React apps on any platform. Right now, we're focused on iOS, Android, and web. We use React Native on iOS and Android and then React Native Web on web. And the big thing that we offer is just that you can write just JavaScript. And then we'll kind of take care of the rest of everything, so
0: that your app can work without you having to deal with Xcode, Android Studio, all those things. Yep. And we've had you on a few other episodes of various shows. We've had you on React Roundup, episode forty-seven, and we talked about Expo there as well. We also had you on React Native Radio. Looks like that was a while ago, episode two, talking about Exponent JS. Yeah, our old
1: old name before we shortened it. Yep.
0: Hey folks, I just wanna let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with the backend. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called DJS, and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. So uh, I'm curious, before we dive into uh, too much, do you want to just give the elevator pitch for Expo?
1: Yeah. Basically, Expo is basically a project that just makes it a lot easier to write. React apps on any platform. I think right now we support iOS, Android, and web. Web is new for us. Like, probably most people using Expo right now are using it to make, like, mobile apps, like iOS apps and Android apps. And we provide, like, a standard library that gives you stuff like camera access, uh, easy push notifications, location, you know, 60 different things that basically access every, you know, different piece of hardware on your phone in a standard way. And then uh, we'll take care of services like doing builds for for you so that uh, you don't have to worry about Android Xcode Studio, stuff like that, and also updates over the air. So if you have small bug fixes or things that don't really require like an App Store review, you can push out those updates over the air because you're just changing your JavaScript. So we have a lot of companies using Expo and a lot of uh, individual developers using Expo. Brex, uh, which is a credit card startup that's like a unicorn now, Flexport, another unicorn shipping company, Valve who makes Steam is using it for three apps now, I think, and a bunch more. Those are just three off the top of my head.
0: Nice. I think the thing that I saw with it that kind of drove me to it a little bit was that it also has like code generators. So I can I can use it to pull in some of the capabilities that you mentioned, but I can also use it to just, you know, generate some of the generic components and things like that that I'm going to be using in my React uh, Native application.
1: Yeah, we have, like if you make a new project, we have some templates for you that'll like help you get set up easily with uh, tabs. Uh, One of the things our team contributes a lot to is React Nation, and so when you do an XO app, it works well with React Navigation, although you can use any navigation solution you want. And in general, we've tried to make a solution that's flexible so you can do things just the way you want to. And like a big thing that we've just added recently is um, we found over and over again that people were needing just like to write one bit of native code in their sort of app project. We'd have people who are writing expo apps and writing just JavaScript to make an iPhone app and Android app using React Native. And then they would want to use like one analytics library or one thing to control a piece of hardware that their company made or one piece of code to do some Bluetooth stuff. And so we've really started to focus more on supporting that use case really, really well. And the way that we think about supporting that is basically just to like, we support first class now, something we call like the bare workflow, which is basically that you're making a React Native app, but we manage a bunch of stuff for you if you want to, but you don't have to have that happen. So like we took all of our modules that we provide, like the Expo camera, um, Expo location, Expo permissions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we made it so you can install any of those individually into any React Native project. And if you want, we'll manage the whole build process for you and everything like that. But if you want to add your own native code, you can just add the, the you know, Expo camera, Expo video player, push notifications, things like that, and uh, add those into any app. And so we've just sort of made it easier for a wider range of people to use Expo like, when they want to, instead of feeling constrained into one sort of workflow.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little curious, What what is the origin of Expo? Like, where did it come from?
1: The origin is that, like, a while ago, I was working at Quora, and this is, you know, years ago now. But when we decided that we would make a, a mobile app because we had a website, but we saw a lot of people getting phones and using phones more and more, and the, the traffic to our mobile website was picking up. So we decided we would start with an iPhone app, um, just because that seemed more manageable at the time. and. We didn't do anything too complicated. we just wrapped like our mobile website inside of a native tab bar and you know a few other small things, but it took like nine months to do this and then two weeks plus to get approved in the app store and the whole process just seemed really frustrating and backwards and archaic to me and then when that that went well though, and people were happy with the app so we realized we also wanted to build an Android app. And I thought, oh, okay, that'll be a, a bit easier because we already have the design for the mobile stuff figured out. We already have a bunch of the changes we needed to make to our mobile website to make it sort of integrate into being embedded inside a native scaffolding we're making, et cetera, et cetera. And then it took 10 months to build the Android app because Android was just more fragmented and harder to to deal with and build for. So it just took an incredible amount of time to put together these like fairly simple apps after I stopped working at Quora, I just was thinking, like, almost everything that I'm interested in building has a mobile as a really important component of it. Like, everyone is on their phones all day, every day, pretty much. And people, like, more and more use their phones for things that they used to use a computer for. Like, I might go a whole Saturday without even opening my laptop, which is unheard of 10 years ago. But I can check my email. I can, you know, talk to my parents. I can do all these things on my phone. And so if you want, if you're building like a modern application, you almost have to have a mobile solution, but it's so hard to build stuff in the traditional way of, you know, using Swift or, you know, Java, it just takes a lot of time and you only get one platform. So I really wanted a cross-platform solution that was as easy to build as building for the web. So my friend James and I started looking into this. We researched HTML5 enough, but we, HTML5 a lot, but we just discovered that, we're really satisfied with the feel and the performance that we could get from using the web on mobile. And over time, as phones as we've gotten faster. That's, that's getting better. But I still think that if you just look at what users prefer and what sort of the best practices from the best companies are, they tend to you know, not use HTML5 to make their apps just because users kind of expect something that like, almost feels like you're touching it. When the phone has a touch interface, the expectations on like latency for an, and you know, the smoothness of animations and stuff like that, I think, goes, goes way up. So uh, we started researching other techniques, and then in the middle of that research, uh, React Native came out, and we just decided that we would adopt that and build a bunch of tooling around it to make it easy enough that kind of it would be on par or even easier than making stuff for web. So we've just kind of been filling in all the holes in the React Native ecosystem ever since, And recently, we also start to target web as well, because we found a lot of teams had two to three developers, or maybe even only one developer, and their users were going to be using their products like on their phones and on their computers and their tablets. And sometimes people wouldn't want to install an app, but sometimes they would only be clicking on a link in an email or things like that. And so they needed a website product as well. So What's great now is you can use Expo and get a website that looks very, very close to exactly the same as your iOS app and your Android app, all from the same code base. And that's using the React Native web technology that Nicholas Gallagher built at Twitter for the Twitter mobile site that they now use for the Twitter desktop site as well. So it's pretty proven technology and works really nicely. And a lot of the things that people like about the React Native you know, development flow where you know, you use JavaScript objects for styles and use Flexbox for layout, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All those things kind of come along for free with this. Um, the other thing that's kind of cool is we were porting over most of the Expo standard modules to web as well. So if you wanted to do something like make a website that uses the camera on a mobile browser or even on a desktop site, probably one of the easiest ways to do that is to use Expo Web because we've, you know, the APIs for, using hardware and stuff like that are kind of cutting-edge web stuff. And so different browsers implement the functionality differently and support different parts of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So we've kind of made Expos, uh, each module, like work as well as it can on each browser. So you kind of, without having to learn all the different browser quirks, you can kind of just build something once and get the best experience you can get without thinking about it too much. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and it's, so, it's nice to know that there's kind of a standardized way of doing this across multiple platforms as well. It, it reminds me a little bit of jQuery, except for, you know, mobile. Yeah,
1: I think like one of the biggest things jQuery did for me when I used it back in the day was just make it so I stopped worrying as much about like, does Internet Explorer support this particular thing? And does Firefox support this particular thing? And just knowing that if I use anything in jQuery, mm-hmm. it, would, it would work fine across every browser you can kind of think of one of the main things that Expo gives you. It's just like, okay, I know that this video player is going to work fine across all phones and all platforms because it's been kind of battle-tested and keeps getting refined. And if there's some bug, somebody will fix it and it'll work well with all the other modules. Like the video player will work fine with um, you know, the camera module in Expo and things like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is is that I keep talking to more and more people and and I was really resistant initially to the idea of, Oh we've got to build things for the for the mobile devices right back when mm-hmm. I uh, cuz I've I've been a web developer for a really long time and yeah nowadays I mean I'm the first one to pull out my phone and look crap up on my phone so yeah it's 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 now gotten to that point where it's okay you know how do we make the most convenient way for people to get what they want from their right. mobile device mm-hmm. and a lot of times that's an app a lot of times that's a mobile friendly website and so yeah to have that Sort of common denominator type of approach that you can just say, okay, you know, I may need location or I may need camera or I may need this or I may need that. And then just to know, and it'll work across everything. I mean, that's just really, really convenient for a developer.
1: Yeah. And so that's probably the biggest thing. When a lot of times the way that people start using Expo is that they tell us they're on a really tight timeline. And Mm -hmm. the only way they could build an app for, say, a conference that's coming up in three weeks or something. Is to use Expo because uh, they don't have time to, you know, set up everything with Swift and Java, or even with React Native. A lot of times, because yeah. you know you have to deal with a lot of sort of build steps and other things if you're you know, building React Native apps yourself.
0: Yep, absolutely. So I'm I'm a little curious then as we get into this because you know going off of the jQuery sort of idea, uh, jQuery had a really really convenient API right especially for looking things up in the dom and things like that so how do you approach building your apis for expo so that it's easy for people to grab and use and do all the things that they want to do with it and have it consistent across all of these different
1: systems yeah a lot of the stuff we just try to create a set of components that are mm-hmm. like meet the needs of you know the, the set of developers out in the world so we we get information by you know just practically like thinking like what does every app that we see out there need? So like one of the first things that we knew we needed to make was like a video player component because we saw lots of apps like showing videos. And so that made sense. But then there's sort of a longer tail of things. And so we have a, we have a voting board uh, like candy.expo.io where people can vote and comment on different features that they want. And so over the last like two and a half years or so, we basically worked our way through almost everything on that voting board adding things like you know a share component so that like if you uh you don't need to share a link or something the android and ios operating systems actually have like built-in operating system level ways to share stuff mm-hmm. you can access that and then a thing that people got excited about and asked for was something called Lottie, which was a way to sort of animate logos and other kinds of animations that airbnb put out and so oh, nice. there was enough demand for that so that's part of the expo standard library now as well. And so we actually have like, you know, 60 different APIs in our SDK. Um, And a lot of these things are based off of just like talking to a bunch of different users and adding stuff that is solid for them. Like an example is there's a SQLite uh, database functionality built in. And we like SQLite because it's very well tested that has like 99%, maybe even a hundred percent test coverage. And it's very stable and it's proven, you know, working in, you know, many, many, many deployments across many, many products. So I thought that was a really good storage solution for people. And, you know, other things are like ways to generate random bytes if you need to do crypto stuff. view: a lot of people put maps in their app. Um, so, you know, we include React Native Maps, which gives you Google Maps on both platforms and Apple Maps on iPhone. If you think about a phone, kind of like every piece of hardware in there, like accelerometer, gyroscope, the camera, Bluetooth sensor, things like that. We try to cover all those. The only ones that we're really missing right now are Bluetooth because it's really complicated and pretty different between iOS and Android. That's something we want to add, but it's just really gnarly. So it's kind of the the biggest, we're eating the biggest worm last there. And then things where the, the underlying platform kind of wants to have a direct relationship with the developer. So... In-app purchases is a good example of this, where like, if you do in-app purchases on iPhone or on Android, you kind of have to bake into your build, your developer credentials, and then set up stuff with Apple and Google tied to those of like where the money's going to go if somebody does an in-app purchase and what products you're going to offer, et cetera. But we've actually, in the last couple months, started to you know, embrace letting people do their own builds as a first-class supported thing. And so um, we'll probably in the next couple of weeks roll out an a uh, purchases module for expo um, that you can use if you use this bare workflow and, and build the project yourself. And so that I think will be, you know, great for a lot of users who've been wanting that for a while. And we'll probably be able to add, uh, you know, some anything along like things like Apple pay and Google pay that has a similar kind of thing where the, the, pl- the underlying platform from Apple or Google wants to have a, a direct relationship with the developer, but we'll we'll be able to add that in their workflow. So you'll just you'll take on some complexity where you have to build stuff, but you'll be able to get this additional functionality. So yeah, and then the other things we add are stuff like sign in with mm-hmm. things like Google OAuth, mm-hmm. so Google sign in, Facebook sign in, things like that. Just stuff okay. that lots of people yeah. want, even be, like, and a lot of times it's just a pain in the butt to set up. And so if we can make the setup, you know take 15 minutes instead of two hours you add that up five times and people can make something much much more quickly than um, they can if they have to do all the setup themselves and things aren't tied together
0: yeah and I've done a lot of those things on the web and some of them are less of a pain some of them are more of a yeah. pain even on the web but yeah I, I love the idea of just kind of having a standard way of, of handling it yeah and then I'm assuming that a lot of these components are things that you can modify if you need to. So
1: yeah, everything is open source. And so you can fork stuff if you need to or if you need to change stuff. We accept PRs, obviously. Although like we want to be really careful about making sure that these projects are stable and safe to use and all this kind of things. So we you know try to review PRs carefully and it helps to just talk to our team before you do anything, you know, expect to learn anything major. But yeah, you're you're welcome to take the code and do whatever you want with it. We're really trying to like our mission is basically just to help people make the applications that they want to see in the world as easily and quickly as possible. So as many people can, you know, build things as, as possible. Like I, as phones become the major way that people just use software, I think it's really, really important that like as many people as possible can participate in making that software because otherwise you know, we'll have some, I mean, right now we're almost in a situation where four or five companies make more than half of the software that everybody uses. If you think about it, between Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Amazon, I mean, there's, that's probably like Microsoft. more than half of people's time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's funny too, because over the last year or so, it's, uh, it's gotten to the point where I talk to people and, you know, we talk about what's coming next and they're like, well, I can't wait for augmented reality. And I'm like. It's here. Augmented reality is here. The difference is, is it's clunky because you have to pull it out of your pocket and touch it with your big fat finger because mm-hmm. you know, it's your phone. But it is really augmented reality. I mean, you can scan stuff, you can look at stuff through the through the camera and it, you know, it'll read stuff and give you all kinds of information about it. You can look stuff up by images. You can, you know, play a song on the radio and you can tell your phone to tell you what it is. I mean, that's all augmented reality. The, the difference is is that you know, we're, we're looking for an interface that's a little less clunky. And yeah. what, what we're talking about here with the camera and the Bluetooth and all of the other capabilities that the phone has and giving people access to that is that you're literally one step away from, okay, now it's in my glasses and it doesn't creep people out like Google Glass did. Yeah. Or now it's built into contacts or now it's built into this or now it's built into that where the interface is much more seamless and that's what people are really talking about when they want augmented reality to show up but you know when we're talking about this realistically it's already
1: here and this is the yeah.
0: stuff to that
1: yeah and i mean the other thing that that makes me think of is just like as there becomes more different ways for people to consume stuff where it's you know different kinds of phones people have you know big consoles in their cars people are using stuff like nintendo switch they're still using their computers even if they're a lot of yeah. behaviors in over phones, and you know now like people are like the Oculus Quest, and like maybe we actually are at sort of a place where VR goes mainstream. One thing that's been really interesting and cool to see is like React as like a way to build applications on all those platforms. Where on like the web, obviously, like the way that the underlying technology that you use to deliver things is like HTML five. But then in, you know, an AR VR context that the web just like doesn't really cut it or isn't even available perhaps. But a lot of these platforms have React implementations available for them. And so in general, we've been really pleased with the work that we've seen the React team do. Like, I think they do a really good job of balancing, creating a stable interface. So if you upgrade from, you know, React 14 to 15 or React, 15 to 16 or something like that. Mostly stuff doesn't break if you don't change your code. Like they do a really good job of keeping the APIs in place that were there and, you know, being considerate of all the developers out in the world who are, you know, don't want to do a chore of, you know, changing a lot of code when they upgrade. But at the same time, they're adding sort of bold new features and bold new ways of doing things that like make meaningful differences. Like I think the addition of hooks that a lot of people have been excited about in React is something that like, wasn't an obvious next step. It wasn't obvious to me, for example, that there was something wrong with using a class for a component. But with the work they've done looking into stuff like performance and doing things like mixins and things like that, there's actually a lot of advantages to you know the way uh, of building software using just pure functional components and and hooks. And so it's really cool that they're able to balance those really really well. And so we are just generally sort of excited as React is this way that like. A normal developer who's not an expert in each one of these platforms can actually build software that targets all these. And like, as the world becomes more and more digital, just like feeling like, oh, okay, I've I've learned how to do software, and now I can start building stuff for all kinds of different things instead of having to spend a year or two becoming an expert in iPhone, a year or two becoming an expert on web, a year or two becoming an expert in you know doing AR VR stuff, or a year or two yeah. learning how to write stuff for the Switch.
0: Yeah, you you pick the stuff up for React and then what you do is you essentially turn it around so it's you know it renders to you know React DOM or React Native or mm-hmm. React Switch or React VR or whatever. And yeah, you have this other interface to it.
1: Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Another thing we've started to add is just services because like once you know React and you can do that kind of stuff and you can program on these platforms, we found that like A lot of times, people don't have the hardware to do what they want to do. Like, there are a lot of Windows develop people using Windows out there who want to develop iPhone apps. There's a lot of people who have like Linux machines who want to develop for iPhone, Android, things like that. And so, um, one of the most popular things that we offer at Expo is just uh, a build service. They'll take your JavaScript code and turn it into you know an iOS app that can go to the store, an Android app that can go into the Play Store. And, you know, it's fairly trivial to do this so we can take your code and turn it into a website that you can upload to, you know, AWS Amplify or Netlify or, you know, your own host or just like anywhere you want to stick a website. And that's actually something that people like so much that we're actually, you know, working on improving that, making kind of a new version that will let you build kind of pretty much any iPhone app or Android app or, you know, website adding your own native code, adding in third-party native modules, things like that. Um, and so that's just something we're investing in kind of over the next six months to a year to make that really, really good and kind of take that to the next level so that people can you know, stop worrying about doing that build stuff themselves, even if they have custom needs in terms of native code and special modules and things like that. And so that's kind of the that and the update service where you can send uh, new versions of your code over the air to you know, your iOS app and your internet. It's kind of like the other thing that people really like when they use Expo. And so that'll be the other thing that we're really focusing on, just trying to make it so that you don't have to worry about doing this yourself, but we'll just be able to, you know, handle updating our code for you over the air when you don't need an app review. And the stuff that people, I think, really want from that is just, like, better ways to uh, have control over the policy of when things update and, you know, the size of the updates and things like that. So um, we're excited to just build like a more advanced, more powerful version of that. And just generally get deeper and deeper into developer services. So that's kind of another thing that's a big focus for us in 2019. Just those two especially, but developer services in general. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. So it's it's interesting because you provide Expo the tool as you know this way of building React Native apps and you can use it for free and it provides all of these components that allow people to build the apps that they want to build, and then you've got these other tools that are services that people can use to, like mm-hmm. you said, build their apps and things like that. So which came first? Was it the Expo? Is it a framework? Is that the best way to characterize it?
1: Or I think, I think it started out as a framework, but now it's easier to think of it as sort of a set of libraries. As of like, you know, about two months ago, you can use any of the Expo modules in any React Native app without any particular without doing anything special. So you can just install like, you know, Expo's SQLite module, Expo's pedometer library, Expo's, you know, linear gradient thing or image picker, any of those things, you can take that that one thing and install it into your project and use it with any other native modules without having to like bring in all of Expo or have Expo manage the way that you do things or whatever like kind of a philosophical way we talk about it and think about it is like, I call it sort of like the fast forward principle where we want to like, let people do things the way they would normally do them. If they were sort of not using Expo or just doing things on their own or whatever, Um, as long as that's a reasonable way to do things. But then what Expo does is just kind of gets them from point A to point B really like instantly if they're kind of going down the normal path that we expect them to. But, you know, if you're building an app, there's maybe five or six steps. And if you need to do something custom at any one of those steps, you can go do that. And you can use Expo to kind of just like, skip the other ones where you're doing the normal stuff. Originally, we started off just trying to like, make kind of a, almost like a a browser, because I saw that as a really great thing about building for the web, was that I could just open up my web browser, like Firefox, Chrome, whatever, and then go to, you know, index.html on my computer or localhost, 3,000. And I could share links around. And like if I wanted to show a coworker something I was working on, load things over the air and things like that. And so we wanted to like take the things that were good about the development in the browser model and bring that to uh, native. And so that's where we we built this client um, as like maybe the first thing we ever built. And the client basically is there's an expo app in the Google Play Store and an expo app in the iOS App Store and if you want to start building something with expo you can just get the client put it on your phone in a normal way and then uh, scan a QR code or set yourself a URL and then open up something on your phone instantly and be working on it and we have actually have like a thing like sort of js code pen called snack.expo.io so if you go there and get if you get the client up on your phone and you go to snack.expo.io you can have and you know less than a minute, a mobile app that like looks and feels native running on your phone, um, and you can start editing it and it'll like live reload. And um, that's the kind of thing where I think there's for a long time been a pretty big gap between how nice it is to do web development and like how nice it is to do stuff on native, and we're trying to close that gap a lot. And it's exciting that we're seeing stuff like Swift UI and um, Jetpack Compose on Android like making strides in the sort of native, native way of doing things. And that like in general, the whole industry is moving this direction. But I still think there's a lot of people out there that want to target a lot of different platforms like web, iOS and Android, and they really like using React. And there's also just like even more dynamism than you can get when you're using JavaScript where you can send new code over the air, send parts of your application up front, and then you know, we'll be able to make it so you can break your app into different parts and send different parts down when, they, when they're needed, et cetera. Um, just like the way the web does. So once we built that, that sort of, we realized that we needed a standard library for people because they would say, okay, this is a really cool technology, but I can't really build anything unless I have camera module, unless I have maps, unless I have some kind of way to play videos or some way to access a pedometer, et cetera. So we added all those things in. And that was kind of our second phase of stuff was adding this standard library of components. And then our third phase was that people said, hey, you know, okay, this is great. I have this thing built, but I need to like, get an IPA and APK and I, because I want to put it in the app store. And they would say, oh, I need to, you know, update my app. And it's really frustrating to have to resubmit every time I make some small change. And so we started to build out services just in response to users' needs. So we try to be a really developer first, like user focused company that just doesn't just like blindly respond to user requests, but is always observing and talking to all the people using Expo and thinking about using Expo and just like building whatever they need to just solve their problem of you know building application software to distribute to their users across all platforms and just making that as easy and smooth as possible. so the distance between imagining something and how it will work and then having a working product that you can actually get to your users is as short as possible. That's kind of what we're trying to do.
0: right So I guess my question is is what came first,
1: the set of libraries or the company? Yeah. I mean, we started a company and then we made the client and then we made the libraries and then we made the services. And, you know, some of those overlapped a lot, but that was kind of the order that we ended up realizing that each thing was necessary to make stuff work really well.
0: Right. That makes sense.
1: Um, but those are kind of the main three things we do, like the client and tools, the libraries, and then and then just like the various services around that.
0: So if somebody wants to get started with React Native development and they're thinking, okay, well, this sounds really great. and it sounds like, you know, I can kind of shortcut learning some of this stuff. I mean, how do they get started?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you want to just play around with React Native and see, like, does this feel good enough? Is this easy enough to build stuff in? I think the definitely the easiest way is to just, like I said, go to snack.expo.io and it'll give you sort of a hello world app on your screen and a text editor in the browser and You can download the Expo client from the Google Play Store or the iOS App Store on your phone and then just immediately open up the project that's on your screen in your web browser using that and then change it in the web browser. And, you know, you can instantly install any module from NPM. All of the Expo standard library modules are baked in there and you can kind of play around with anything you want to try in like, you know, less than 90 seconds. That's a really good way to just start to get a sense of something's for you. If you want to make like, uh, you know, something that's like a real app on the path of being submitted to the the app store, then, um, you know, on our website at like docs.expo.io, there's a sort of a quick start guide to just using the managed workflow to to build something. If you just go to docs.expo.io, and I think it'll probably take, you know, less than five minutes to have an app running on your phone that way. And then, you know, from there, it probably takes, you know, once you have your code ready and you're ready to put in the App Store, just a few minutes to make a build and then submit that to the App Store. So we've tried to make all these flows as easy as possible, but there's basically like you can use Snack to play around with things, do examples, learn whether React Native meets your needs or not. And then the XO managed workflow will get people really far, and a lot of people use that. A lot of our biggest users are using that. And then if you have really custom needs, you might want to go to the bare workflow beyond that, where you're managing a lot of the build process, adding in custom native code, things like that. But that's kind of a thing where you can start with one and then move to the other pretty seamlessly. So um, if you want to sort of make an app that, that uh, is going to go into the store and things like that, I would use the Managed Workflow. And if you just want to start playing with React Native, I would just go to snack.expo.io in your browser.
0: Nice, that's really great. And it's interesting too, because I've, I've kind of done it from the command line. In some mm-hmm. of the setup, I'm just like, mm, you know, I have to go install uh, Android Studio and I got to install Xcode and I've got to jump through all these yeah. hoops. And so I really like the snack.expo.io because it's, it's just a, oh, I'm just going to start banging on this code. And then if I have something I like, then I can save it, yeah. just log in, sign up for an account. And yeah,
1: I mean, it's, right. it's, it's really, really convenient. Our company's attention right now is on our like people who are doing the stuff that we think is like the most important and the coolest and reaching the most users and sort of like the top end of our customers. Because we think that if we do a really good job for them, then that stuff will be useful to everyone down the line, down all the way to beginners. But we also have, like, like, so much of what we want to do is help people get started quickly and just not deal with things they don't care about. And so a lot of the people who use Expo uh, start off using it as students, either at a hackathon or for some project, a lot of school newspapers use it. And then they go off to companies and then they know how to do things. So that's still like an important use case that we like to, to care about. And in a lot of ways, like if you think about what's great about Snack that you were just talking about, where it's like you don't have to install Android Studio if you don't have it on your computer, you don't have to worry about installing a whole bunch of things, X, Y, or Z. We don't actually see any fundamental reason that you can't get everything good about that experience into the sort of like sort of professional workflow where you're you know editing your code with VS Code and the files up on your computer and you're integrating with your company's CI and things like that. And so like bit by bit, we're kind of like trying to make everything that's good about that Stack experience be in, you know, a workflow that has all kinds of ways to hook into everything else that a company needs and, you know, sort of serious professional user needs, but you're still getting, you know, the same ease of use and speed and, you know, convenience that you get with something like Stack.
0: Yeah, I've gotten to know Eric and Albert at uh, StackBlitz. Cool, and they do, do kind of the same thing for web development, right? Where you don't have to go install npm and then in, you know, or install Node, and then you know install Angular with npm, and then make sure that it's all up to date. Get the Angular uh, CLI and jump through all the hoops again. You know, it's oh well, I want an Angular app or I want a React app or I want a Vue app, and you can just do yeah. it in Stack blitz. And it's the same kind of thing where it's just like it's like, look, let's teach you how to code, and then you can go bang your head against the wall, which is the command line later.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I do think that, like, I'm not by any means the first person to say this, but I think as stuff like NPM has come along and technology world just circulates faster, it can be hard to keep up with all the different tools that you're supposed to use to manage all kinds of different things. Like, you know, I think two years ago, there was a sort of a meme of JavaScript fatigue going around. And I think, oh, yeah, tools fatigue, and we did an episode on that. Yeah. Right. Wild. And so, you know, I think the net is good in that, like, things are just getting, like, all these things that people are adding and adding are actually providing value and, like, solving real problems. And when people sort of get nostalgic for the old days, they forget all the ways that it just took forever to build things and they were buggy, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that, like, the more that we can, like, one thing that I hope we can add with Expo is just sort of, like, a sort of fairly stable easy, coherent way to like use all these tools across your entire experience of building an application so that you can kind of like relax a little bit and just kind of trust that, okay, like Expo took care of figuring out how all these things fit together and this kind of stuff. So all I have to do is kind of like fill in the parts of my app that I need to, that I care about. And I don't have to worry about, you know, making sure that I have the right version of this or that as much as as you do right now. Although there's, you know, a lot, there's always a tension between solving problems for people and just giving them a a straightforward path along with giving them the customizability to use whatever they want and use cutting edge stuff when they want to use it or use a old version of something because they use it somewhere else and things like that. So we try to really hard to like walk this tightrope of balancing between, you know, optimizing one straightforward path that like is works really, really well. And giving people the customizability to go off of that path when they have some particular need where they, for them, the right thing is to use something special. And that's kind of like one of the hardest things about doing what we do. But like one of the most interesting parts is just trying to balance those things.
0: Yeah. So one other question I have about Expo, the company. So it sounds like you're mostly focused on these services, but do you also do consulting and things like that? Or are you primarily Um, focused on the, the services?
1: We don't do... We think there are a lot of great consulting firms out there that do react development and react native development so we're like friends with a bunch of those companies and if, if you go to expo.io slash consultants like there's one we have a list of ones that we we've seen do good work and we trust and we have like a fairly small team so we just try to focus on that and um i think we've we're starting to roll out some paid products this year so um like do like some of the things that we're starting to charge for that if we have a build service and if you want to be, you know, at the front of that build queue all the time and get really short build times, you can sort of pay for our priority plan. And also we're adding team support and um, just like beefing up the rest of our services. And so um, we'll probably roll out like sort of premium paid versions of that. Although pretty much everything we do is open source and we plan to continue to do that. And so, you know, we don't want people to ever feel sort of trapped or locked into what we're doing. And that, like, if they're paying us for stuff, it's because we provide a lot of value and are the best way to do things. And it's just really convenient and nice for them. But uh, even stuff like our update service, you can run it yourself. If you just, you know, data privacy reasons or cost reasons or whatever reason you want to, you know, self-host, you can do it that way. And same thing with builds. If you want to do your own builds and not use the Expo build service, you can still use all the Expo modules and everything else with Expo, and just use uh, you know go down our bare workflow path and run the builds yourself, or you know use Circle CI or Mac Stadium or you know AWS or whatever computer in the cloud to do your builds for you. So oh, wow. um, we try to give people all those options there, and I think that we're like building a business around developer services going forward.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I love the idea, too. I mean, I've been working on a few products on my own. And yeah, it's. I want you to stick around because you love what you're getting, not because you're stuck with us because, you know, switching is painful or bad. Yeah,
1: that's really the only way to build, I think, a lasting company in, like, the developer space because developers are so... I mean, they listen to podcasts like this one. They read Hacker News and Reddit and Twitter and they go to conferences and they talk. And, you know people don't make decisions about the tools that they're using to like do their jobs and like make their livelihoods. They don't make those decisions like lightly. And so like we found that like the best way for expo to grow is we just keep making the product better. And then people have a good experience and they tell each other and there's really not any a great shortcut we found beyond like doing a good job and having people having good experiences and liking what we're doing. And so that just reinforces, I think that that's, that we have to just be really developer focused and provide them a lot of value, and you know, if we did try to, you know, trap people in some sort of thing that you know that might work for a very short period of time, but yeah. would really not work out in the long run for us.
0: I agree. Cool. Well, is there anything else we should be talking about with Expo? Anything that we didn't cover?
1: Um, I mean, I think the other thing that I talked a little bit about, but we're really excited about is Expo Web, which I think like is. Awesome that you can just use Expo to not just get an iOS app and an Android app, but you can get a website now as well. And our goal with that is not just to make it sort of a an add on, where like, oh, it's cool that when I build an Expo app for the app stores, I also get a you know website for free. We actually our our goal there is to make it like just the best way out there to make a a React website. I think we have some more work to do to get there, but. It is a really nice flow. um, And it is really nice to be able to use sort of the React Native paradigm to do web stuff. And if you build a Hello World app in it, you get 100 across the board in Lighthouse. And so, like, we're really focused on performance and ease of use, and then just like adding lots of functionality. And so, I'm actually really, really excited about Expo Web and think that that'll be
0: something that we invest in a lot uh, going forward. Evan Bacon, our team, is kind of leading that effort, and he's doing a great job as usual. He's just a machine. I like that idea, too. And I also like it just from, from the standpoint of, oh, I've been using their website for a long time and I just installed the app and it feels familiar, right? Yeah. So I, I've been using the app, and now I went to the website and it feels familiar.
1: Yeah, we've seen a trend with that where like, if you think back to like 10 years ago or something like that, I remember there was, there was sort of a theme, if you talk to people, where they, like, they thought that iOS apps and Android apps should be different And that, like you know, the tab bar should go at the top on Android and the bottom on iOS. That we're like, you should use different things, and that that's pretty much completely gone. If you look at any major app right now, the iOS app and the Android app look almost pixel for pixel, exactly the same. And then we're even seeing that with web now too. Like, if you look at the Instagram mobile website, it's you know, it's very hard to spot the differences at a glance between that and the native apps on iOS and Android. And I think more and more like you're saying, it's just convenient for users that they, don't, they only want to think about a product once, especially if it's on a similar form factor. And also, you know, for designers and developers within a company, if you only have to worry about like one product and then, you know, making it, delivering it to different platforms is just sort of an implementation detail that simplifies the whole way you think about things. If you need to make changes, it simplifies that. And so I expect this to continue to be a trend and become like pretty standard stuff that people build one product that gets delivered across web, mobile web, iOS and Android with, you know, some small differences across the platforms, but, but not many.
0: Yeah, I love it. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. So uh, picks is where we shout out about stuff. And usually I, I let the guests go last. So I'll go ahead and jump in with some picks. The first pick that I have... Is and and this is something that I picked in the past, but I didn't realize that it had this feature, and I am liking it. So I've been using uh, an app called V. O. Two. It's a workout app, but you can add your coach or whoever's working with you on your workouts to the application. I've been using it for running. I don't know if it, you know, if it's you know great for other sports. I'm assuming it is, but anyway. So I ran a race on on Saturday. I just ran a 5K. And, you know, I got a personal record. But what I found Congrats. out is that it, it gives my uh, coach a way of kind of measuring my fitness. And so then she can go in and she can update my, my VO2 score. And then that changes the pacing on all the rest of my workouts. So, of course, that means, yay, you did a great job. They're getting harder. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. So it's called V.02 and dot is spelled out. But uh, yeah, and it's based on the V.O2 Max, um, yeah. you know, which is your oxygen consumption, blah, blah, blah. I don't completely understand what it is. But it's, it's a magic number for, for athletes. So anyway, um, I'm going to pick that. Another thing that I'm going to pick, I have this, it's kind of a portable monitor is the best way to put it. It's built by the AOC company and uh, it actually just connects to your computer via USB. And so it's convenient when I travel, I just plug that sucker in and go. And uh, I'm, I'm really, really happy with that. So yeah, if you're ever out traveling you know, with your laptop, it's just nice to have that. And then lastly, I'm going to shout out, I'm going to be at Chain React. I don't know if you're going to be there, Charlie.
1: Uh, I think Brent from our team will be there, but I, I'm not going to be there this year.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to be at Chain React. Uh, going to be doing some podcast interviews, mostly for React Native Radio which is another show that we do. And like I said, Charlie's been on that one and on the React Roundup podcast. But uh, yeah, I'm going to be interviewing people at the conference. And I have a Zoom H6 recorder that I'm going to be taking. And what that is, is it's just an audio recorder. It's got some attachments that you can plug different kinds of mics in with. But it also has um, XLR plugs on the side and it'll actually power mics. And so I'm just going to have a couple of microphones plugged into it. Um, have that sucker kind of slid into a pocket where I can see the equalizer on it, and then I'm just going to be recording interviews from the expo floor, and you know maybe try and uh, find a quiet space where I can record uh, interviews with the speakers. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And then I'm going to be at OZCON the next week. They're both in Portland, so I'm just staying over the weekend. Probably go do something fun for the weekend. But yeah, uh, it's just a really nice way of doing that. I have some sure SM58s that I. Just hook up to it. But yeah, it's, it's a really nice portable rig. Works pretty well. And so I'm excited about that as well. So the Zoom H6 and the Shure SM58 microphones.
1: Cool. Charlie, do you have some picks for us? One thing that I think is really cool is this thing called DraftBit, which is a new thing still in beta, I think, uh, in the last few months. But you can sort of visually build apps. And it actually, like, kind of in the way that you you know, a prototyping tool like Framer or Photoshop or Sketch or something, like somewhere in that ballpark of things where you're visually like dragging rectangles and typing in text onto a screen. But then you actually get uh, kind of an Expo app or React Native app out of it. And that's really cool. I think like that's the first time I've seen something exactly like that done for the mobile space that like gives you actual code that you can can work with um, across all platforms. So that's draftbit.com. The people who work on that are, I think, really smart and passionate about it. And then one thing that seems to be, you know, getting a lot of love and and better is, uh like, AWS Amplify. Just, like, it seems like they're putting in a, some good work there to make a bunch of services in the cloud that, you know, let you host web stuff and things like that. And so um, there's an article on our blog about, you know, Using Amplify services with an Expo app and things like that. Um, so if you Google that, you can check it out.
0: Nice. I know that uh, Natter Dabit works a bit on that. Yeah, he's a developer think... evangelist for that. Yeah, so, good guy. Yeah, very cool. Uh, did I ask you how people can find
1: you on the web? Expo.io is our website. Expo.io, and then you know from there, it's easy to get to our docs or download our client apps or our tools or anything like that.
0: Nice. And how about you personally?
1: Oh, me personally? I'm Ccheever on pretty much everything, C-C-H-E-E-V-E-R on Twitter, GitHub, and you know, any other thing you want to find me on.
0: Awesome. Well cool. thanks for coming and talking to us about Expo. It's, it sounds really, really great and I can't wait to pull it in and use it on some of the stuff that I've been playing with. Cool.
1: Thanks so much, Charles. Great to talk yeah, to thank you. you.
0: Alright, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, folks, and we will be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.